Support for this podcast comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to policyholders who focus on keeping their employees safe. More at TexasMutual.com. Dan Kostick is a fitness trainer in San Antonio, Texas. Along with his wife, he owns King William District CrossFit. The product of founding and growing a small personal fitness business for Dan has looked like one existential threat after another since 2014, at least observing it, to me it has. But Dan is a fighter. He's a self-described meathead. And I've been thinking lately about the parallel between the kind of keep working beyond your known limits philosophy of CrossFit as a fitness regimen and the kind of crazy how can Dan's business possibly survive sort of threats that he's overcome to build his gym community. So I wanted to talk to Dan about all those threats, about the limits of his entrepreneurial endurance, and about his personal and physical fitness philosophies. This is No Hill for a Climber from Texas Public Radio, a show in which the steep challenges of business are met with uncommon courage by Texans on their way up. I'm Michael Taylor. Welcome, Dan. Hello. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me about the decision to open your own business? I don't know if it was 2013, but the moment you were like, I'm going to move from employee to owner. Um, I had been working as a trainer and gym manager since my mid-20s and was working at at a club called Midtown Athletic in, in Chicago and discovered CrossFit myself. This was like 2007. Started following the, the, it was a kind of a new workout formula, and I realized I thought I had been essentially working out wrong in a lot of ways, and I found this very revolutionary, frankly. And in CrossFit, I saw the opportunity to do it how I wanted to. So it was actually at that time, I remember very distinctly thinking on the plane flight on the way home, I want to have a CrossFit gym. And this is in 2008, but I was living in Chicago. I knew I wanted to do this back here in Texas where I grew up, and so it took another five years for me to get down here to Texas. And uh, so my wife and I moved down here in 2011. And I was working at Lifetime as a, as a the manager of the fitness department at that time. And at that time, I started looking around for where I might want to open a CrossFit gym and how I needed to do that. I had a little bit of money, but not very much, frankly. And so kind of transferred over and partnered up with a guy named Josh who owned uh, some kind of studio personal training gyms here in San Antonio. And we opened up a CrossFit together. And that was how it originally started. And that's the point at which I was kind of going all in, where you're frankly cashing out your 401k, you're taking your money out of savings, and you're pushing all your cards into the middle of the table and saying, "This this is the life and the lifestyle that as a family we're trying to achieve and the only way for us to do it is to really play a risky game of poker. <laughs> so so there's five years between 2008, I want to do this, and 2013, you do it. You partner with a guy named Josh, yep. also with your wife. What did she think about yep. the choice? This is something we had talked about even when we started dating. I was pretty honest with her that like this has kind of been something I want to do. I'd like to get back to Texas and eventually open a gym if I can. And so if if we're going to stay together, you got to know that that's kind of where things are headed. She was very open to that. She, you know, she was a trainer too. By that time, 
when we were dating, she'd also become certified with CrossFit and really liked it as well. And was also, frankly, kind of disillusioned with the environment we were in there and how basically I feel like you're trying to sell people stuff they don't need. So I am still to this day uh, humbled and honored that she was willing to take this risk with me. It was a risky move for both of us at the time. And she was she's like, all right, because she had to be all in, too. Like she had to be all in if we were doing this. Yeah. Something stuck with me when I first started my business and had a friend of mine from college who had already been in business for himself told me the key thing to starting a business is to be ignorant. Like if anybody knew how hard it would be, nobody would start a business. And I wonder if thinking back to 2013, how ignorant were you at the time? <laughs> and do you think that that was key to starting? Yes. And I had, I had heard that phrase too. I had people along the way say, I don't know if you should do this. This is going to be really hard. And people that have opened up their own business and said, it was so much harder than I knew it was going to be. I would never go down that path again if I'd known. And so I heard this and I would, if somebody came to me and was going to open a business, I would give them kind of the same message because you need to see if you can scare somebody out of it. Yeah. Like I would try and do the same. I would try and scare somebody out of doing this. And if they keep going then maybe they have the commitment needed to go there because you need to like paint a very scary picture because it is. And then like, if you're still willing to like give it a shot, like your chances of success are really small, hanging by a thread. You're going to work your ass off. A lot of the work will be wasted and you're also going to need to get lucky. And so (laughs) all that needs to tie together. You get to this point in life and even with recent changes, like in a more financially secure position, like I am so thrilled and so happy with it but man does it it takes everything you've got and then more uh i observed i watched you guys i was part of your gym in the first year you were open and three things stand out as very difficult uh one was your former partner in the business who you had broken off from was frankly bad mouthing you i don't know if it got to the point of like a lawsuit or not uh, that was one struggle. Another was a young, very fit member died in the middle of a workout. And then, yep. and then I remember you lost, you were notified you lost your business lease with something like, in my recollection, three weeks notice, you got to clear out. Which was the biggest threat? And did any of those make you want to quit? Yeah, I, I can expound on, on, on all of those. Yeah, Josh, and I'm happy to say now that all these years later that we have a I think a friendly, cordial relationship. But I think as with a lot of entrepreneurs, we're opinionated. I don't frankly like being told what to do. I don't like having a boss. So when Josh and I got into this, very naturally along the way, I had certain ways of wanting to do things, where the money should be spent, that kind of stuff. And he and I were just butting heads on that. I would call that unfortunate, but frankly, I don't think it was... It was a little bit of a drama, but it wasn't that big a deal. Then, of course, with Bartek. And Bartek was a wonderful young man, 27 years old, who, yeah, had just run a triathlon. It's Memorial Day. We have over 50 people in the gym. We do a very long workout, one-mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, another one-mile run. And pretty much CrossFit gyms all across the country do this um, on Memorial Day. So we're doing this, and Bartek just drops in the middle of class. I walked over and immediately saw like unresponsive. We were very blessed at the time to have an emergency room doctor and 
a former military doctor in the room that were immediately working on him, and I was calling for a, a ambulance to come, and he he was I think dead almost immediately. He had evidently had an enlarged heart that they discovered, you know, after the fact, and uh, there was a predisposition for this kind of thing, and so yeah. But then most of my members and a bunch of people that just are the first time at the gym just watch somebody die. You know, I, I had to call his mom. Take any business sense out of this, like just as a human, like that was a life-changing situation that to this day, there's just no good way to process something like that. Man, like after that, I was like, all right, the worst has happened. Right. And we're still moving forward. And so, you know, we get through that. And then, yes, not that long after that, I was trying to get a new lease with my landlord, Kevin Covey, and he was kind of kicking the can down the street a little bit. And I was wondering what was going on. And it turns out, you know, he had an offer from a bank that was going to pay him like three times the amount for like a third of the space. And they wanted it really soon. And I found out that like my lease was not going to really hold up to snuff if he didn't want me in there. And so he sent his father over to give me the news that I needed to get out. And if I wasn't out with the equipment, they would move it for me. And yes, it was something like a two to three week time frame. And I remember, you know, Paul, I was sending Paul and Paul's like, he made a comment to me. He's like, you know, this is just business, you know, essentially being very condescending, frankly, but business is rough, Dan. He's like, I know this means you're not going to make it and you're going to close. And that's just unfortunately how it is. And I was just like, (laughs) Paul, you don't know me. And again, one of those moments when like, it looks like this is it. And I had more resolve in that time ever again, because now I was, I wanted to succeed. And I also was like, you. And so like, there was a lot of emotions going on. I will say after that, I don't know where we're going to go. I'm trying to figure out where we're going to put the equipment. How do I run a gym without a space? Where are we going from here? That was one of the times I was at home in the backyard. And I kind of had a little bit, one of those moments where I was like, man, maybe this is it. Like, we're fucked and we're done. Janelle, you know, like, everything's a team effort, and I I love her, and she was like, you're being kind of weak right now, and this is not the guy married, and you can do this. I still remember that conversation. It was very pivotal, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. So you're notified by your landlord you've got two weeks to get out. He's saying, this is probably the end of your business. You, on the one hand, say, I never thought I would quit. On the other hand, you're telling me, that at some point, maybe in their backyard, Janelle, your wife, is like, <laughs> don't even think about quitting because that's not the man I married. I, I am actually interested in that because I know Janelle, and I bet she didn't say it nicely. But <laughs> No, she, she, yeah, it was a pretty matter-of-fact thing. I'm having, you know, like a total crisis, and she's like, suck it up. And yeah. so um, Janelle is the like, person was... who famously, uh, in, her, in her telling, somebody is – you know, trying to take a pause in the middle of their workout and to put their hand out to grab some water and she kicks the water out of their yes. face. So yes. That's my, yes. my image of Janelle. So I bet she was like, you're like, I'm thinking yeah. of, she's like, kicks the water away from your hand. <laughs> Which reminds so, me, of course, of uh, a summation of the caustic philosophy is the t-shirt you wear. <laughs> Nobody cares, work harder. <laughs> like, yes. Yes, that does really very much sum up Yes. We're a little short on sympathy in the household, but I would not say that it's, I think it's a very loving, caring household, but it's, yeah, we, we want to hold each other to a high standard. Nobody cares. Work harder. So, 
you lose your lease and you begin what in a biblical sense would be Moses going through the wilderness trying to find a home. And I think you had four yeah. moves in five years. The end yeah. result, now you have built your own gym. But in the meantime, you're sharing gym with other people, probably have declining membership, running out of money. Did any of these things make you want to quit? I mean... <laughs> yeah, from a money perspective... I had no idea how much money I was going to need. I thought I knew, and I just didn't know. And, of course, because unforeseen events came up. So that was a point at which, too, I'm really glad I didn't know <laughs> um, <laughs> what I know now. Because I, I, that's a point at which I might have been like, the chances of this are <laughs> not great. And so I don't know what I would have thought. But it worked out, you know. So in the end, here I am. So that was a good thing that I didn't know. Uh, yeah, I have to imagine this. A deeply uncomfortable two to three years, and I'm I'm reminded of the poster that sits on your wall. Comfort is a slow death. Prefer pain. To and to be frank, like it definitely affected my health and stuff. It was it was pretty rough on me from a health perspective in that time frame because you're just constantly like standing on the edge of disaster. Any moment, something could potentially happen that's outside of your control. It's like you wake up every morning and you're playing Russian roulette. It's it, in the long run, man. It was really good for me because I would have never put myself into that kind of a situation with that kind of stress. But learning to like function and live, and also like learning, frankly, to still enjoy life, and that was how the, that that whole two years went. Because you know, new stuff would come up. I decide if once we decide to build the gym, I'm going to be the general contractor. I have no idea what I'm doing. And that was when one of our members, Chuck, great guy, who had built his own building in the city. He brought me to his office and brought out all his plans and all the materials and just put on his desk just this huge stack of paperwork. And he's like, Dan, I'm telling you, don't do this. Don't do this. You can't do this. And that was another one of those moments. He's like, I'm telling you, this is a friend. I think you're a capable individual. He's like, I would never do this again. And I had no idea what I was getting into. And he told you this is going to be the worst experience of your life. Yeah, he did. Right? He was really kind of almost begging me to do it in, in another way. And that's where, <laughs> stubborn, I was like, I think I can do this. And, and so, you know, <laughs> that's when we went started down that road. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk to Dan about building his CrossFit gym and the limits to this philosophy. Last summer, Texas Mutual sent $330 million to resilient companies who work hard at working safe. It's their 23rd consecutive year of distributing dividends and helping businesses invest in a bright future. Since 1999, they've paid out more than $3.4 billion to employers who share their commitment to building a stronger, safer Texas. Learn more about how Texas Mutual is changing the way workers' comp works for you at texasmutual.com rewarding. Okay, welcome back, Dan. I want to talk to you about where you're at now, which is you managed to build your own CrossFit gym using other people's money, yep. which is great. But one of the stories that stood out for me is this long journey of building your gym, and you were dependent upon an engineer named Majid, yes. who pulled a gun on you. Yes. Some, can you tell me about that situation? What was going on? So, you know, we end up purchasing land from Union Pacific Railroad. So there's a whole... This is a piece of land that doesn't exist in the eyes of the city. So I was across this whole project, you know, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get the money as I'm going along. So I'm trying to do everything as cheaply as I can. And Majid was actually recommended to me by a member's 
husband, who since we've had a lot of good laughs about, he has apologized uh, for that recommendation. Um, he had only worked with Majid a couple times and said he's a little rough around the edges, but he's not too expensive. And I was like, all right. And so I will agree that, like, meeting him too, he was, the customer was always wrong, in Majid's opinion. And so he was, he was a ornery old dude but like i'm gonna make this work and so i'd go to majid's office once a week and he'd tell me what an idiot i am and how this isn't gonna work and whatever and fine and so along the way one of the things we needed to do you needed to get the land contoured to like make it a certain height above the street and we happened to have a member at the time whose husband did this kind of stuff and he was willing to do it for me for free so i brought the plans plans for majid to this guy, and this guy's like, I have some questions on this. Some of this doesn't make sense to me. I think some of it might be wrong or I'm not understanding. And I was, I played middleman trying to like bring back and forth comments I didn't understand a couple times. And Majid would tell me this guy's an idiot and this guy would tell me your engineer's an idiot. So eventually I was like, well, let's just meet out at the lot and we can all sort this out. We show up there. I'm in my truck. It's just, this is a big green overgrown field and my member's husband pulls up and Majid pulls up and out of the gates I will say this guy was trying to be diplomatic hey I had a couple questions on the plan let's lay him out and talk and I forget exactly how Majid said it but his first line was something like why are you such effing idiot and like and then it went downhill <laughs> from there quickly like that was the first thing like not like a nice to meet you so very quickly they get into a fuck you fuck you conversation and <laughs> then my partner, so to speak, that is, is one of the, guy, the guys that's acting as the builder for this project is there too. He steps in between the two because Majid is like poking this guy in the chest, telling him to shut up. And this guy is trying, like, if it had been any other situation, I think he would just have, would have already punched Majid. But he doesn't want, he's, he's in a very hard situation. He's doing me a favor. And now I've thrown him into this situation without knowing with this guy that's totally berating him. But he's about had it, and with good, very good reason. So Drew gets in between them and pushes Majid away, and we're like, would you just stop? Just stop for a minute. He's like, just stop what you're doing, essentially. So yeah, Majid goes to his truck, pulls out a gun, doesn't point it at us, but holds it up in my face and is like, nobody touch me. And I'm like, are you kidding right now, Majid? I was like, are you kidding me? You just pulled a gun out? I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you talking? We're trying to have a conversation about the contours of the land. And you have a gun. He's like, nobody touch me here. <laughs> I'm like, where do we go from here with this conversation? Like, I'm not sure we're going to accomplish much now. And so that guy, he and he's had it. He's like, Dan, sorry, I'm not doing this. And I'm like, yep, can't say I blame you. And he gets in his truck and leaves. Majid's like, I told you that guy was an effing idiot. I told Majid to go F himself too at that moment. And then he gets in his truck and drives off too. And that was the end of the work we got done for that day. So I found some other, another engineer and thank God I did. They were awesome. So the Majid story reminds me of the idea that I want to explore with you a little bit, which is at that point, it's possibly the healthier choice of just giving up. Are you making reasonable choices considering all the options or are you just a guy with no brakes flying down the highway and you're either going to win the race or you're going to die in a horrible crash? <laughs> like, Yeah, I mean, I think the second, I'm definitely, I was definitely the second guy. I have dug a deep hole. I have borrowed money from family members, from members at my gym who have put their faith in me and trusted that I will see this through. And if I like say this is too tough or, you know, I didn't know about these circumstances and I'm out, 
there's a good chance none of them get their money back. And I just wasn't, I was going to totally fail. I was going to be forced to stop. I'm like, this is like the point of no return for me. You're swimming across the lake and either you make it to the other side or you drown. I'm tempted to tell you, so my own therapist is like, do you think that you are squashing your emotions by going to CrossFit and just working out instead of dealing with the sadness? I'm like, maybe? I don't know. So the, <laughs> the, the alternative thing is like, maybe you should just be feeling bad and, and like understanding the weakness instead of, oh crap, I feel bad. I don't want to feel bad. I'm just going to go to CrossFit and like bash my head against some weights and, uh, and listen to heavy metal music. So that's where I have also like... I had a fiance that, that before I knew Janelle that, that killed herself, and after that happened, I went to uh, I went to therapy for a long time too. And I will say that like I had to get that grieving out, or it was going to I think greatly affect me. I think negatively for the rest of my life. And so I think you have to be emotions aren't bad. I think emotions make they make life worth living. But yeah, learning how to rise above it in a mental sense, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but like, yeah, to like let your understanding of what I don't control in this universe, letting that set you free and not stewing and that stuff. But that doesn't mean like burying it. I think you have to like, you have to, when you're feeling something, you've got to find some way to let it out. But doing it in a really hard workout, I will say is I think a very good way to do that a lot of times. I'm open to the idea that maybe I'm doing that at the expense of both my back and like actually just feeling the feelings. I don't know. It's still to be figured out. Having watched you for a long time, I think one of the reasons you do like CrossFit is yes, you do like to push yourself. You do have a high standard for yourself and you're not just willing to accept the I'm getting old excuse or this, that, and the other. You don't. And I think that's great. The suffering and the setbacks are part of the process. Yeah. The setbacks don't mean you're doing it wrong. It, it means you're right. getting to a better place maybe. Yeah. Um, Dan, I really uh, appreciate your leadership of the gym and I appreciate your efforts to found your own business and build it and uh, really appreciate the conversation. Yeah, this has been fun and uh, this is why this is so rewarding. This is why my life is so good. It's exactly because of like our friendship and it's a good life and it, us being able to do this is a big part of that. Yeah. Uh, Dan, thank you so much. Thank you. See you at the gym. No Hill for a Climber is produced by Ryan Kyloth with editing help from Ben Henry and Dan Katz. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. I'm Michael Taylor. Talk to you next time.